0: Welcome to Ukraine 242. On the 24th of February, Russia began bombing Ukraine. It is a date burned into the psyche of every Ukrainian. For all of us, it was the onset of life in a changed world. In the next half hour, we will hear people in Ukraine describe this global alteration as it unfolds. I'm Ann Levine reporting for Pacifica Network from WOMR and Kraina FM. When Russia bombed Ukraine, it touched me personally. My roots are Ukrainian. Prior to World War II, one grandparent fled Kiev and another fled Odessa. Both were fleeing genocide. I learned about a radio network in Ukraine called Kraina FM, and as a radio host of 15 years, their story lit a bonfire in my heart. From an undisclosed location, they are continuing to broadcast as Radio National Resistance, using the airwaves to support and assist the needs of Ukrainians. I was able to find and connect with Kraina FM staff, and our collaboration began. I am their media liaison to the USA, and with their help bring you reports from people in Ukraine. Today, my first guest is Sergei, his last name withheld for security. He is a soldier from the Azov Battalion who was gravely wounded in the first days of the war. He was taken to the hospital in Mariupol when it was still under Ukrainian control. Then the Russians took over the hospital and conditions went from decent to atrocious. Sergei escaped Mariupol Hospital after being there for several weeks. As you will hear, many of the details of the escape were not answered in order to maintain the safety of those still in the occupied territories performing rescues. Sergei and I have had some personal exchanges through interpreters, and that is how we decided to do this interview. In Ukrainian, you will hear Sergei and his doctor, Stanislav Onishchuk. Overlaid in English, Sergei is voiced by Roman Davidov. Dr. Chuk is voiced by Vlad Anfimov.
1: Good afternoon. Today I will ask you a few questions about the recent events and your story in general. Let's start with where you're from, what your life had been like before February 24th, and what happened to you on this day.
2: I'm a Ukrainian, I'm from eastern part of the country, I'm a serviceman. My family was leading an ordinary civilian life while I was studying military affairs. Until February 24, everything was fine, everyone was healthy, alive, free and fearless to express themselves. The year before, February 24, was the best year of my life, probably the happiest one. So, you
1: had been a serviceman before this last phase of the war started?
2: Yes, uh, I'm a contract serviceman. I believe that every man must defend his family, his land and his country. I studied military affairs and I was doing my best to be properly prepared. What happened after that? I know that Russians
1: occupied the hospital and you managed to escape. If they had caught you, your fate as a military would have been different.
2: Yes, uh, the situation was fine while the hospital was still under the control of Ukrainian troops. At the time, there was already no water or electricity in Mariupol. Doctors and nurses performed their duties to the extent that was possible. Volunteers also helping, they were bringing food, clothes, whatever they could find. Patients who could move were helping those with limited mobility. It was not easy. We received regular meals and food was shared with everyone. When the Russians came, the supply of food immediately stopped. We started getting only two meals a day, half a cup of soap and two pieces of bread, which were half a centimeter thick and four centimeters long. At some point, Ukrainian doctors realized that there was no medicine left, no electricity and the number of medical staff was limited, decided to move to the government-controlled area. I understand their position. When Ukrainian doctors left, treatment almost stopped. Some volunteers stayed, people from other hospitals came, nurses tried to make bandages and injections from their main materials, but uh, the resources were too scarce, so there was hardly any help.
3: How did you
1: learn that the hospital had been occupied by
2: Russians, and what was your reaction? I heard a man telling a patient in my room to lift his T-shirt up to see if he had any tattoos. That's how I realized these uh, were occupiers who had arrived. I know that
1: our Ukrainian doctors destroyed your documents before leaving the hospital.
2: Can you say that this way they saved your life? Yes, definitely. They destroyed my documents and changed my clothes to civilian. Also, when uh, asked about me. They said that I was a civilian and had nothing to do with the military. Yes, yes, they saved my life.
3: Could you elaborate? Did
1: Ukrainian medical staff do this only for you, or did they also destroy your colleagues' documents and re-register them as civilians? Did other wounded soldiers get changed into civilian clothes?
2: They did that to everyone, some did it themselves, others who could not move properly, like me, got assistance. I don't know how many servicemen like me were saved in this way, but I know for sure that some of those who changed their clothes, destroyed documents and printed to be civilians were taken prisoners, as they were compromised by other people, who disclosed them as servicemen. Were these traitors among the hospital staff?
3: I can't
1: say for sure, but I think so.
3: Do you know anything
1: about the fate of those soldiers who were imprisoned in this hospital, because the information about them had been passed on to the Russians?
2: No, I don't have such information.
1: How much time after that did you spend in the hospital in Mariupol and what treatment did you receive from the Russians?
2: I stayed there for quite some time, but I will not disclose the exact date due to certain reasons, not to cause uh, troubles to those who helped me. But I did stay there for a long time, and uh, there was no treatment at all, nor was there any medicine. Patients were usually assisted by their relatives. They brought some medicines, found I don't know where, and changed bandages. Did any doctor
1: check on you at all? Did anyone ask you about your needs or check whether anything
2: can be done to help you? Yes, there was uh, one such doctor, a woman. Uh, To be honest, uh, these were volunteers staying there who did much more for me personally. They brought doctors uh, they could uh, find to me. Although uh, without medicine even doctors could do little to help. Nevertheless, the volunteers uh, did their best to help everyone in the hospital. Did the hospital staff stay there in the same composition
1: as before the occupation, or did the Russians bring their people there?
2: There were almost no medical staff left, and doctors from the so-called DPR were coming. They worked uh, on a weekly shift basis. I don't understand why they came at all. Probably it was just meant to create an image of doctors presents in the hospital. They did not and could not provide real help to patients due to lack of resources. Ukrainian humanitarian convoys were not allowed there, and the Russians' aid, and aid from the so-called DPR, were scarce.
1: What were you thinking about during this time in this hospital? What were you hoping for?
2: I was thinking about my family, about my dearest, and these thoughts about them saved me from my own sad thoughts. My family managed to pull me out, and now I am in government-controlled area.
1: How did you stay in touch with your family? Did you know if they had information about you?
2: Did you hear from them? There was no permanent mobile connection, Mm, however, at one point it appeared and I managed to reach my family via phone. I told them uh, where I was and uh, I helped them get me out. Your daughter is accompanying you now,
1: I understand that she played a key role in the process of your release from the occupied hospital.
2: Her name is Irina, right? How old is she? Yes, uh, her name is Irina. I apologize, but I will not answer this question. How did she manage to take you out of Mariupol? I will not answer this question either, because it can compromise the people who helped me live. They saved me, and they continue saving others now, as we speak. So, I don't want to say anything that might cause them any trouble. Therefore, I will not answer this question. Sorry about that.
3: Um, I
1: understand that it was difficult to get from Mariupol to Berdyansk. How did you manage to continue your trip from Berdyansk, given that it is also an occupied territory at the moment, and there are a lot of checkpoints, which must have been difficult to pass?
2: I can't uh, give an answer to this question, too.
1: Can you tell us something about your journey through the territory of free Ukraine? about the road from Berdyansk to Lviv and, further, to (laughs) Ivano-Frankivsk.
2: I'm at loss for words to describe what I felt traveling through free Ukrainian lands, where I'm free, where I'm not afraid, where I can speak uh, freely and still feel safe. How long did this trip take? Long enough. I can't give any exact answer, because it can help the enemy identify people who are talking people out, including the military from the occupied territories. How did you get to the first voluntary
1: surgical hospital? How did you learn that you could get treatment here?
2: The patronage service of the unit where i serve uh, takes care of the wounded soldiers they offered my daughter the opportunity to receive treatment at this institution i agreed uh, because i trust my colleagues so this is how i found myself in the place where i can get the best treatment i need now what is your impression of the
1: first voluntary surgical hospital? What can you say about the treatment?
2: I can say that heroic people work here. These are medical professionals, medical staff, including foreigners, but all Ukrainians in spirit. I see the people invest not only their time and energy, but also their soul to help the wounded despite each and the workload. They give their whole heart to help us, regardless of their
1: own problems. Do you have relatives or friends who are still staying
2: in Mariupol? None of my relatives are on the occupied territories now. However, some of my friends and acquaintances are still there. Are you in touch with them? Sometimes there is no opportunity to get through while at times the connection is lost. Sometimes conversations are listened to, so we can't speak freely, but we do talk from time to time. It is very difficult and almost impossible to say what you think. Is it dangerous to say that you are Ukrainian, because one can be persecuted for this. Our conversation will be broadcast
1: in international media. Maybe you have messages or wishes that you would like to address to the world?
2: I have some information about my colleagues, but I have uh, no direct contact with uh, those who are currently in a Zostal plant. I know that there are many wounded and killed. Some continue to fight having several injuries. I want to tell them, if they hear me, guys, I am proud to be able to say that I served in Azov regiment. I am proud of your service and I am proud to have fought alongside such a great people. Do you have any message to the international community?
1: How can the world help in the situation in Ukraine and in Mariupol in particular?
2: I don't know what mechanism can help, but the world must understand that if it does not help now those who are defending indeed the whole world from the Russian invasion, from this cancer, it will consume the whole world, therefore I am convinced that everyone has to take part and help Ukrainians who the world from this madness.
3: Thank you for your
1: conversation, and a special thank you for having defended and continuing to defend Ukraine. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to
3: heroes.
0: This is Anne Levine on Ukraine 242. You've been listening to an interview with Sergei, a soldier in the Azov Battalion, who was rescued from the Marypool Hospital. In this segment, I speak to his doctor, Stanislav Onishchuk, about his injuries, the therapy being provided, and his prognosis. Also, his humble answer to the question, if you could have one thing right now for your personal comfort, what would that be? Thank you for joining us today to talk a little bit more about Sergei. What were his injuries when he arrived at the hospital?
3: When he arrived at our hospital, the main problem was broken bones, broken leg, without any treatment for two months because he was injured in the beginning of March. And in a few days after that, the hospital in Mariupol was occupied by Russia. And I asked him was some treatments for Russian doctors or not. He said that there was no treatments, no any. All treatments was just a small piece of bread in the morning and a small piece of bread in the evening and nobody took care about him. Maybe it was that he was without possibility to see, and nobody just saw him as a potential patient to be treated. Maybe other patients in that hospital was also not treated in normal way. The fact was that there was no treatment for broken leg. The same about eyes. But after he escaped from Mariupol, He came to Lviv hospital and they understood that it's impossible in Ukraine to give him possibility to see and they commanded him to go to orthopedic traumatology hospital and that way he came here. We invited him as an orthopedic traumatology patient and treatment for eyes and I hope maybe in USA there is some possibilities for him to maybe partly, maybe just for a little bit, renovate his possibility to see.
0: But they're saying they don't think there is, right?
3: Yeah, I was very sad when I received a letter from an ophthalmologist. That letter said that if he see even partly, it could help. But if he sees nothing, it will not help.
0: And he can't see anything?
3: Yeah. Uh, To be honest, I didn't say this answer to him and didn't say to his daughter because Ukrainian ophthalmologists have to come tomorrow to remove sewing material from his eye. And I have to discuss with her how to inform him about this bad news because I understand and I know that he hoped to see even even anything. But the fact is, we have to deal with it. Of course, we will do things ophthalmologists recommended us, but it is just to make his uh, eye maybe without pain or something else, but it's not any possibilities to return his vision.
0: How did this happen to him? How it happened? Yes.
3: I had a short conversation with him, and of course, I asked him how it was when he was injured, and he said that it was near Mariupol. He was on the fight position, and it was a battle. And a grenade from grenade launcher just exploded very close to him. And just in that moment, he felt the pain in the leg, and he could not see anything.
0: All of the injuries came from one explosion. Yes. Is his daughter living with him at the hospital to take care of him? Yeah, I was
3: really uh, like a little bit sadly pleasured, but she stayed with him all the time during the day and during the night, walking with him all the time to orientate in the rooms and orientate in the corridor and bring him food and every moment she is with him. It's not so easy to see the, the case if you could not help to change the situation and to understand that the daughter and father they are very close. His daughter tried to do best to help him. And I understood that his daughter is the main helper for him now.
0: Right. It certainly helps in the hospital.
3: Everybody reacted to their situation and wanted to help them. And they appreciate it so much.
0: Right. How is Irina Sergei's daughter?
3: I just had a short discussion with her. She had to be prepared that maybe it will not be possible to return sign for him. Mm -hmm. And I also asked her his dream or the thing which he wants so much. Maybe his daughter knows his need or what is his want. And she answered, I really don't know. I just heard from him that he dreamed about some special military shoes and military boots. She knows the model of them, and she also added that she thinks that he needs some electronic device for hearing to put it in ears, and maybe that device could help him to orientate in space and in the rooms when he's alone.
0: Stanislav, last time we spoke, you told me that 80% of the patients are soldiers. Is that still the case?
3: Yes. One month ago, all our 12 vets were filled with patients. Now we have nine patients. Mm-hmm. Most of them are military patients and most of them are from Battalion Azov
0: are you expecting more now that so much has been reclaimed a lot of soldiers have been released are you expecting more to come now to the hospital
3: just yesterday we have two new patients and for nearest three days we have to receive two more Mm -hmm. so for now We have like a stable situation, but the situation is not so calm that we could say, oh, we will have no patients in one week or two weeks. And every day we stay in contact with medical departments of the battalions and we ask them about the patients. I hope so much that soon will be the case when it is not need for our work. We hope it will be soon when we just treat normal civilian diseases not military trauma but for today we will have work with military trauma
0: are you still mostly treating orthopedic trauma
3: yeah 95 percent of our patients with orthopedic problems with military trauma with mining and shooting Yesterday, we met two new patients, and both of them are orthopedic trauma to be treated by orthopedic doctors. One is without one arm.
0: About the soldier that lost his arm, do you do prosthetics there, or is that further on down the road?
3: We tried to do it ourselves, but could not send the patient to the protesting center because military institutions do it by their own conclusions. So we just could prepare the documents, but all the rest of work is on the shoulders of military organizations, like governmental organizations. There is some special procedure with military doctors for the military patients. I see. So we do just a part of the preparing the patient for such work in the future. So Is- even if we will have a need and opportunity to send the patients abroad, we could not do it by ourselves. We have to agree with a lot of uh, bureaucratic things with the military government.
0: That's very frustrating. If a patient like Sergey who's missing an eye, would have the potential to come where maybe something could be done, where he could possibly be given some sight back. You have to get permission from the military. Is the process too long? I'm sure
3: that we could prepare all the documents and we could agree with the military government to go him abroad. And I am sure we could do it. If there is any chance for him to return even the partly his possibility to see, all the documents will be ready to send to any country.
0: Stanislav, thank you so much for spending this time with me. And thank you too. It
3: was a very big pleasure for me to speak with you. And I hope we will contact in the future. Bye-bye. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
0: been listening to Ukraine 242. Today we heard interviews with Sergei, an Azov battalion soldier, and Dr. Stanislav Onishchuk, chief of First Volunteer Surgical Hospital of Western Ukraine. Today's music, Chervona Kalina, Red Gilder Rose, by Andreev Boombox Kalinyuk. I'm your host, Anne Levine, the creator of Ukraine 242, in collaboration with WOMR Radio, Pacifica Network, and Kraina FM, Ukraine. We bring you cutting-edge, first-hand reports from key people in Ukraine about what is happening during the ongoing Russian invasion. Editing and production is provided by Ursula Rudenberg at Pacifica Network. Recordings by Michael Levine. This interview was arranged by Roman Davidov of Kraina-FM. If you'd like to send a message to the Ukrainian people, please call 510-883-3115. Your message will be translated and broadcast to 26 cities across Ukraine. Again, that's 510-883-3115. For more information on Ukraine 242, go to Ukraine242.com. Until next time, I thank you for listening.